Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. This afternoon, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by the incredible Liana Brinded. She has had a huge amount of experience, over a decade in fact, working for the the likes of Yahoo Finance, where she is at present, heading up the Yahoo Finance UK team. She's also worked within journalism and the media, doing lots of different fascinating pieces of editorial and journalism work, working for the likes of CNBC, Business Insider and Quartz in addition. Liana is someone who I've really been looking forward to meeting for a very long time now. She's got a vivacious personality, she's highly enthusiastic, and she's usually used to being on the other side of the camera doing interviews of her own. Very keen to talk to her today because she's recently launched a global change agents program where she's been interviewing leaders of her of her choosing, who, who work across the board in various different diverse fields, interviewing everyone from listed CEOs through to heads of diversity and inclusion and individuals within the finance market. And finally, which I learned actually today, Liana's also got a really interesting cultural background as well, being half Asian. So love to learn a little bit more about her background and obviously welcome her to the show. So welcome and thank you so much for being with us today, Liana. Really appreciate it. So yeah, I feel well very honoured. That was probably the most amazing intro I think I've <laughs> ever heard for myself ever, um, <laughs> even to my own wedding. So, um, but um, thanks very much. So I mean, a bit about background for myself. So um, I'm half Malaysian Chinese and um, on my mum's side, and my dad is English, Irish, British, um, and actually comes from um, Essex. And um, I was born and raised in Surrey, but also throughout my childhood, um, I have lived in Singapore. My dad actually travelled a lot to Asia, and actually all my family are in Malaysia at the moment, bar my brother and my mother and some cousins there in Hong Kong, which I just came back from. Um, So, yeah, so I've had a probably a... Um, unique um, unique background. Um, I was born and raised in Surrey um, and in a very, very white neighbourhood and also went to um, various schools where I was usually one of the only ones of ethnic diversity, um, even on you know, being half something or for something, but in any kind of diverse sense. And um, I suppose one of the things that you're referring to, maybe the uniqueness, is that... Um, and partially it comes into my career, is that I always wanted to be a journalist and specifically a war correspondent. So actually when I was about 12 years old, I convinced my family to um, move me from a private school that was a stage school, um, which had great academics, but it was a stage school at the end of the day, doing ballet and things like that, um, to put me into an army school. And it was actually originally called Gordon Boys School, and they only started admitting girls um, the year before I started there and so to prep me for war at obviously 12 years old as you do as you um, do as you do my parents were amazing and actually that was like I suppose a unique point that maybe I've had reflection later in my life but was actually like a key moment that really showed that my parents have always been 
um, a driver to help make me succeed, no matter how far-fetched or bizarre what my career trajectory want to be. They've always been encouraging and will make massive steps like that um, to place me in a very, very unique situation and encourage that kind of passion for something. That's so fantastic. And do you know what? And we were chatting, obviously, beforehand off camera. I can completely relate to so many of your childhood stories because, you know, my father was, well, I was adopted, so I'm also Chinese and grew up in a predominantly white school. And it was really, you know, I think that, you know, that's bound to kind of shape reflections and how you feel right now, because it certainly did with me. You know, talk to me a little bit about those early kind of experiences and the young Liana as you were growing <laughs> up making, you know, some of these quite big life-changing decisions. So it's, it's funny because when you are, you know, a child, there's so many things that in a way you may not consciously, um, you know, absorb, but you subconsciously do. And it's not until maybe later that you look back that it's like, oh, I really felt that way. But there was very much a time throughout school that whether it was the uh, the fact that I looked very, very different to everyone else. And also, as you can tell, like I haven't got rid of my love for you know, dye my hair or things that I love or the music that I like or the way that I am in my personality, that really hasn't changed. I mean, evolved and matured. But, you know, put that all together in a school where it was predominantly boys and um, the girls that were there, they were predominantly white and blonde. And it's, you know, things like that, that initially just in the outset as a child that you know that you don't fit in. But then on top of that, the... Um, that can children can be children and you know the bullying starts and things like that and you know i'm i'm sure that you know very similar when you are kind of the other and you are on the outside that you you know you get into situations where you are being bullied and things like that and you know sometimes it's worse than others but i do feel like it shaped me in a lot of ways that you can rise above certain things, even as a kid, and it can shape you in a positive sense, make you more resilient, give you more grit. And actually, um, I'm not saying everyone has to be bullied to get those things, but you know, I've, it's a good opportunity to take negatives and turn it into a positive. And I think that is a really key um, trait to have throughout your whole life because bullying or made to feel the other doesn't stop when you finish school it can carry on throughout your entire career and your personal life but actually if you've had that from a younger age in a way you may see it as getting a head start to carving your superpower of being stronger absolutely and it's so fantastic to see because you're just so full of energy and confidence or at least that's how i perceive you from the outside looking in you know was there kind of a tipping point in your your life you know personally professionally where you actually spun that to become this advantage that it clearly has now and obviously you've gone on to build newsrooms and teams from scratch so this is the thing that i really believe in and what i really really do love about being at verizon media group which is a parent company of yay finance uk is that there is a huge encouragement and actually really you know, absorbs it is that to be your authentic self. And I really, really believe that. And even when being my authentic self 
wasn't accepted, uh, you know, in sometimes in teams or in units or at previous companies, things like that. That doesn't mean you need to shape to fit the cultural fit because sometimes the cultural fit isn't a good one and that isn't a bad thing. But the number one thing that you have is yourself and being authentic to yourself. And whether it's a personal relationship, a business relationship, um, the way you, um, you know, do your work, especially in journalism, is that authenticity is the key to success, I feel like, in anything. And, you know, a, an example I can give is that I, and this is a very true story, and I have a written warning letter that I framed and put it at home on this, is that once my manager brought me in for, um, at a company that was a few years ago, so not here, um, but like a while and while ago, and I used to do very, very early shifts, and I'd always come in and I'd be like, I'm really excited, we're doing live needs, this is gonna be awesome, let's do this. And you know, it's like very early in the morning. And my boss brought me in and said, you are being too enthusiastic. It's making the team feel bad. Oh my God. And it <laughs> happened. And here is a letter of warning that so I was like, and then I made a joke and I was like, so you want me to curb my enthusiasm? Um, you know, but he didn't get the joke that of the TG show and everything. Um, so that didn't make it any better. But I could have taken that moment and gone, actually, maybe I can be a bit more quiet. Maybe I can sit in the corner. Maybe I cannot speak up when something isn't right. Or maybe I shouldn't put my ideas forward because actually it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to sit in the corner, do my nine to five and actually, you know, but that is not how either you get ahead or become a productive team. You look for your way out. So I was, you know, I took that on board, but... At the same time, I didn't let it affect my authentic self. And when I, you know, would feel that I have done enough at places, you know, there's other opportunities, but being true to yourself really, as much as it sounds very new age, it really is at the heart of everything that you do. And especially when I look at the best and most supportive bosses that I've, uh, you know, ever had, and a lot of them are at this company, is that they are 100% themselves like 100% honest and authentic. Every interaction we have is authentic. There's never a feeling of anything else. And I think that's what makes a productive team, a productive company and everything else. That's so fascinating. I love the fact that you've gone and put it up on your wall yeah. as well as a reminder <laughs> to that manager from the past. And I take it you didn't stay there very long afterwards. I can't, it's a while ago now, so it's like a good, is about, I don't know, I don't want to give time notes just in case, like find out who it is. But um, it was a long time ago, so I can't actually remember how long I stayed after that. But the thing is, I still, this is another thing, is to, um, on the part of resilience, is that there's always um, a complex machinations behind every relationship or with every, um, you know, interaction, things like that. And, you know, it's to be resilient and be authentic, but also at the same time, not take it so personally. Like it is personal in a sense, but as in like, don't let that wreck yourself. Don't let that wreck your confidence and don't let that wreck that, you know, your belief or what your skills are or what you've achieved. That shouldn't, if you have one negative thing, it shouldn't cancel out all the awesome things that you do. And I'm not saying that I'm always entirely kind with myself and that thing, but that is something that I always try to work on for myself and the learning never stops in that sense. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about the Global Change Agent Show, because I know that you're usually on my side of the camera <laughs> asking the questions, interviewing leaders, but 
be great to learn a little bit more about that. And, you know, I, I know you've alluded to, um, you know, authenticity maybe being a bit of a buzzword of today, but it absolutely makes sense in the context of what you're talking about. When you've been interviewing other leaders, have you found that they've come across similar hurdles or have there been kind of common themes running throughout the show that have, you know, been brought up and, and brought things home, really? Well, there's so with Global Change Agents, what's really great is that all the women on the show, they all come from such a diverse range of backgrounds and industries. So they're not just people that have had incredible careers. They've all been women that have had incredible careers but radically changed the industries that they're in and brought people up with them. And I think that's the key trend in that sense. The other key trend is the fact that with all of them, They've all seemed to be fighters. They've all come against adversity. And they've done it in... But the thing where it's different is that they've done it in different ways. And I think that's a really key message, is that when it comes to looking at diversity, inclusion, or wanting to find, you know, the recipe for success and things like that, that it's not all the same. And there's not a blueprint that every single leader has to follow in order to become a great leader or to, um, you know, be a diverse, inclusive leader, is actually having great key points and tips and weaving that into your story and into your life to create that and I think that's what's fascinating with all the women that I've been um, interviewing so far is that everyone does it differently and everyone manages different parts of their life differently some people are very you know they will make sure that they get that eight hour sleep a day they switch off their emails at the weekends and um, some of them have had obviously different backgrounds and then some of them like no I have no hinterland, I do not stop. And, you know, but it works for me because my lifestyle, I do this and X, Y, Z. And I think that's a powerful message that even when it comes to covering diversity and inclusion and championing um, women or ethnic minorities or all the intersectional parts that comes with diversity and inclusion is that there's no exact one way. That's what diversity is. Even within diversity, there's a huge range of avenues you can go. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we get to the destination as long as we get to that destination. So whichever path someone decides to take, it really doesn't matter. And I think it's great to hear and see that companies are really starting to embrace this now truly and starting to kind of put individuals like yourself, you know, as role models out there. And, you know, obviously you're doing the show, which is fantastic. And really, you know, scratching below the surface and finding out about the humans behind this, that it's not just that we are numbers and we need to do X to get to Y and everything like that, that actually the path you take to getting to the end result, really, you know, it's for you to choose. Exactly. And I think what what's really great about that is that understanding that, you know, we we're talking, um, as you said before, authentic authenticity has become a buzzword now. But that's the thing, diversity and inclusion, you know, I think one of the biggest problems that maybe any industry would have or any company or a team or a person would be thinking diversity and inclusion is a buzzword and the ticking. The only time it works is when you include it into the fabric of everything that you do. So it's not just like we would do a diverse and inclusive, you know, um, whether it's a, you know, a staff thing or whether it's this, it's make sure that it's woven into every, you know, product, every story, things like that. Be mindful. It's about all about um, making sure that everyone in whatever part of life 
is included into the narrative. So at Yahoo Finance UK, um, so when I started here in August last year, um, and I built the team from scratch, um, that one of the number one things that I want to do when we were creating our newsroom and we're all creating together new content, new strategies, things like that, that it doesn't matter what kind of story it is. It has to be inclusive to all audiences. Yes, you may have some very, um, you know, financially educated investors like traders doing it every day. But if we really want inclusion in our copy, we've got to make sure that it's accessible to people that may not understand their finance well or don't have an um, you know a financial background and to me that is showing like and really being mindful of including people from all walks of life in any kind of way you don't want to make anything too elitist because financial inclusion is one of the most important things in bringing all society together absolutely and I think a lot of the time as well it's about confidence and it's about like you say putting whether it be complex financial language into you know more palatable everyday terminology that everyone can understand because actually you know we've all been there we've walked into the boardroom and people are talking about various different metrics and you think to yourself oh god what are they talking about you kind of don't want to speak up and naturally it doesn't give you the confidence to be able to become involved in the conversation so i think that is such such a key point and you know with it you know potentially being viewed as elitist, you know, completely concur with that as well. You know, I think the more we the more we include, the more we talk in, you know, easy to speak language, the more we are open and honest with our conversations, the more people feel they actually can raise a hand and be confident about it. Yeah. And especially when it comes to leadership is that um with some of the women that I've interviewed, but also um, I was lucky enough to, you know, have a mentorship um, session with this incredible, incredible um, CMO um, that uh, this company uh, that I work with bridged me with. And she gave some amazing advice. And when she was talking about when it comes to any, you know, across the world in any kind of industry, and obviously we still um, have a funnel problem where even if you have 50-50 with women and men starting at the beginning of the career chain, the more you go up that, yeah, I suppose it's like a triangle, right, or funnel, um, the more you go up, the more it gets squeezed to the point where, you know, it's mainly men at C-suite level or in um, or in a boardroom. And then, of course, when you're taking the intersectionality of it, especially women of colour, um, it's... and all other aspects, that gets even fewer. And one of the key points, and I think it was very poignant that she talked about it, was that the thing that excludes them from getting beyond that middle manager maybe level is financial inclusion. So not just being able to, you know, understand finances, but it's not having the training or not being open or being put forward into you know, areas that when you do get to C-suite level, you will need to really understand a balance sheet. You will really need to, you know, know all the um, financial machinations of different areas of company because usually women are not volunteered to be exposed to that as much as men. And so by the time you get to that middle manager route, it is very difficult to break through that. And I think from a media point of view, if we can give that information and inform people and, you know, they have the data at their fingertips as much as a story that explains why it's important or why this is making well go around, that will help them day to day. 
Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself, because of course you're an absolute you know, advocate and champion for diversity and inclusion, and, and I kind of live, breathe and sleep it, that you know, when I look at the statistics, sometimes I find it a little bit disheartening. I mean, there's kind of, I think it's maybe around seven female CEOs in the FTSE 350 still to this day, and there's lots of great media around about diversity and inclusion, how things are improving, but still, the numbers don't seem to stack up. And, you know, I don't know whether from, you know, clearly, you know, from, from the women that you've been speaking with, this is a key part, that confidence, the financial acumen. You know, are there any other things that you think, you know, we could be doing to really start to push things forward and, and really move the dial? So there's, yeah, 100%. So I do think we are at a point in um, you know society where diversity and inclusion is um, not buzzword, but it's everywhere that people are a lot more mindful of it, which is fantastic. Absolutely. But with a lot of the leaders that I've been speaking with, and obviously go to concerts and speak to a lot of people about it, is that now we need to see more action. So. We've got all the tools. How can it be implemented on industry levels, company levels, anything? Um, and this is from um, female leaders across, like, banking, finance, tech, you know, academia, science, like, all of it. Now is action time. And I do think that there are huge strides in doing that by formulating plans from um, the CEO and C-suite executive downwards. And doing that means that when you've got that stamp approval for certain programs or things like that or training, that cascades and creates that incredible culture. And I think one of the key things is like sponsorship programs. So while it's, you know, for there was a long time that it was very encouraged that women should always have a mentor because, um, or seek a mentor because, you know, especially when, you know, men are usually, even by unconscious bias, being elevated or given advice or things like that, finding a mentor will help you give advice. But the step beyond that, just as much about the actionable part, is sponsorship. And um, sponsorship is an advocate, someone that is, is a decision maker that can really make things happen and champion the work. And it's actually being a sponsoree, a lot of hard work too. You have to make sure that you work with them as a partnership and be sponsorable and go above and beyond to hit goals. But they are there to then wave that flag and go, hey, look how amazing this person's doing. You know, can I give them a stretch goal? Can I give them a project that will put them even more said to elevate them? Whereas before, it's very hard, especially for women and intersectionally, like women of colour, gay women, to be able to move up a ladder because they don't usually get a voice. And I do think a lot of companies are doing it a lot better by putting things like that in place. Absolutely. And I think shining a light, like you said, really shining a light, really being positive, really saying, do you know what, that's been a fantastic job, well done. And almost forcing, you know, a lot of the minority groups who wouldn't necessarily have been in the spotlight before actually to, um, you know, speak up, you know, do some, you know, interviews, talks with media and what have you. Which, you know, I guess leads me on to ask a little bit more about the ERG, the Employee Resource Group, um, for anyone who, who's wondering um, what an ERG is. But I know that you also head up the UK ERG here at Yahoo. 
Yeah, so um, I, I feel very honoured to have this position, but I think this is what I genuinely like, love and why I'm so enthusiastic and passionate every day that I come into work is because um, at Verizon Media Group, they put like just like how we put into our products and to our things in the company and investment, they put diversity and inclusion in literally the fabric of our everyday. It's not, you know, I've worked at a lot of places that may have may not do that as much or know what to do with it. Whereas here, first thing, it's like you see how important culture is. And this comes from the top and it's fantastic. And so what we have here is a whole range of employee resource groups. And so I head up the London chapter for Elevation which is about elevating Asian builders, which is builders we call um, staff, because all of us as staff, we are all building something, which I think in itself, even that language is fantastic, because it's showing we're not just employees or staff members, we're all together building awesome things. Um, And we have a lot of other um, employee resource groups as well. We've got one neurodiversity, we've got LGBTQ plus one, we've got ones for parents and caregivers, we've got veterans one we've got so many and it's um it's so fantastic and the great thing is is again is like the way companies you know do it well is to put it in their fabric of their you know how they operate from every day because there is a huge difference between diversity and inclusion like i think one of the best analogies i've ever read and heard before is that diversity is inviting everyone to the party but inclusion is making everyone stay and dance I and love that quote yeah because it's Werner Myers I think isn't it is it Werner Myers I think so yeah yeah I couldn't remember exactly so I was like but Brilliant. some other people repeated it and now I'm repeating it but it's amazing but I love that analogy so much because it's so so true and what's fantastic is when you do have an inclusive environment you have happy staff you can be your authentic self you're productive you you know, are overjoyed to be, you know, coming into work every day and doing awesome things. And even if it's stressful or everyone has like, you know, down days, it's still like, this is great, you know, and I'm happy. And, you know, it retains talent. And it also means that people want to be here a long time and elevate themselves and go up that ladder. And I think, you know, I think that's such a wonderful thing. So... I completely agree and I think it's so interesting especially where we are at the moment what with you know the millennial generation being the largest in the workforce that actually millennials zillennials and even further are starting to put purpose and action at the heart of their rationale for choosing certain businesses to work with and I'm not saying that it's not like this at all with the more seasoned generation. You know, I belong to the millennial generation. I think you do too. Um, But the the historic leadership style does differ significantly. And um, he was talking to psychologist Sir Carrie Cooper the other day, and he said, um, you know, some people do think, oh, millennials, they're kind of, they're snowflakes, they are flaky, they move around from place to place. And... He was absolutely anti that, as I am, because I think, you know, the world of work is changing. You know, why wouldn't it be a fantastic way to be, to actually be picky about who you want to work with and be thinking, actually, I'm not going to accept second best and go work for a business that is not going to allow me to be my true self? Because ultimately... You know, that's going to decrease productivity because so much energy would be wasted on trying to put this, you know, this mask on and pretend to be what, what you think, you know, corporate world looks like. Exactly. And such. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very much the same. Like, I, I think that this is, you know, when we talk about diversity, is that the great thing is it's, you know, people are getting a more of an understanding now um, that diversity isn't just about gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation or anything. like that. It's intersectional. We are all multifaceted human beings. So you can be a woman of colour who is 21 years old trying to navigate you know the career space we're all we're all intersectional and i think that's a key thing and one of those is age like i am very very much an advocate in looking for people's potential and what they have delivered i don't care if they've been on the earth longer or shorter than other people that shouldn't be a plus tick um to your credentials or what you can do in your job or what your potential is maybe their potential hasn't been tapped enough and i do think when it comes to that or you know economic diversity um neurodiversity all those parts play a part in understanding how we can have a greater like smorgasbord of you know diverse candidates to work with because you know even on the business sense like we've seen there's dozens of studies out there including in Harvard Business View showing that the more diverse your teams are the greater your revenue is the greater you're going to tap into it because if you're telling especially in media if you're going to be telling stories you're going to be finding you know tapping in different audiences you need to have different people running that you need to have a range of people with different backgrounds to know what to look for and things like that so yeah so that is definitely included. In Absolutely, you're right. And there's just so, so much research out there that I think it is, you know, it's really, it's impossible for businesses to ignore it now. And it's not just this nice and fluffy to have, you know, it does make commercial sense. It makes a lot more money and significantly so, according to McKinsey and the, you know, the various reports yeah. that you've mentioned. So, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, just another couple of questions, because yeah. I know that I've asked you many today and I could actually sit here and That's chat really to you forever. <laughs> On the other side um, of the camera for once. <laughs> but I would love, because we have, you know, obviously a lot of people who listen to the podcast and a lot of people who will kind of write in or they'll watch our new, new YouTube channel, which of course is now up, which, which this interview will be on, who'll write in and kind of say, look, you know, I'm really trying to progress in my career and I don't have the confidence and, you know, this is how I'm feeling, etc., etc. You know, how can I, you know, have that confidence to, to move outside the box or to try and get a promotion if I'm feeling quite different? You know, is there any advice that you give out there to, um, you know, aspiring business leaders or those who are already in business and feeling like they don't have the confidence to speak up as a minority in any of those different avenues of diversity that we've mentioned? So I would say 100% never be afraid to ask for help. That, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to being in a leadership position is that you got there all by yourself. Yes, you have a core in your graft and what you want to do, that of course is down to you, but you are only as successful as the team around you. You're only as successful in the support that you get. And don't forget, there will always be someone that will be above them or accountable to them that you should definitely reach out and have help if it's with an ally at work or with um, someone for advice always ask for help like don't be afraid of that and I think that people may burden themselves too much with taking on too much of that headspace thinking it all has to be down to them we're not all born perfectly to be put in a suit and go in the corporate world and do it perfectly we all get there from learning from each other so reach out for help too I'd say 100% is like even if you're quietly confident believe in yourself because that's where the confidence comes into it if you know um, 
especially like we do camera stuff, right? People do go like, so how do you just go on camera and talk about something? It's like, because I know what the, you know, I believe and know 100% of what I'm talking about or things like that. That's where the confidence comes in. The only time I'm not confident about something is if I don't know all the answers, but knowing that I have the support to ask those questions and get advice or help, that's where it brings back the confidence in. And it's also on top of that, you know, putting in the graft. It's, you know, it really is down to, uh, and then hard work, but keep knocking on doors, keep taking those opportunities, because it comes down with the confidence part, is that if you're unconfident, you won't seize those opportunities. There may be a, um, you know, small part of you going, oh, should I even apply for that? Oh, I, I don't have all the credentials, I shouldn't do that. But like, there's also studies out there that show that when it comes to a job ad, even if there's like 10 bullet points on what the job would want, a guy will always go for it, even if he's underqualified. And I think like the, and then the flip side, a very small amount of women would actually go for it unless they had 100% of everything on there. And that shows that weird gap. So it's believing yourself, hand the confidence and building up that way. Um, and then, yeah, and it's the hard work and don't, never give up. Sometimes, and it will be harder for others and it will be harder with people that are at a systemic disadvantage for many reasons. But never, never stop knocking on doors, never stop seizing opportunities and absolutely do not ever think you have to give up and that's the end. There is always another door. Thank you so much. Do you know, I've honestly really thoroughly enjoyed having a chat with you today and there's so many of the points that we've spoken about that really resonated with me personally and I really hope that our listeners at home or who are at work either listening in on YouTube or or on the podcast have really been able to take something away from today which I'm absolutely sure they will you know in summary and I will put all the summary as well onto the podcast notes at the end of today's show but you know confidence you know believing in yourself Um, you know please do as well if you have been affected by anything in today's show or you would like to speak further please do reach out to us you know honestly just pick up the phone send us an email I'm sure that Liana or myself or one of the team would be more than happy to have a chat with you Um, but absolutely kind of having that confidence believing in yourself you know that tenacity and that resilience that I can feel vibrating (laughs) off you when you're talking is something that I absolutely wholeheartedly agree is one of the secrets to being successful and you know I think one of the things that people should remember as well at home if you know kind of going up throughout their career is that you know actually when you look out there you presume that everyone knows exactly what they're doing that they, they kind of were born that way <laughs> exactly exactly so you know having some of the imposter syndrome and things like this that you've described I think that is totally I'm sure that that is a really really common thing you know I feel it all the time and that's something that you know it's quite a common topic that seems to come up when people tend to ask us questions so thank you so very much Thanks for having me for for being here today and um, thank you very much as well to all of our listeners who've tuned in to listen to today's show with the lovely Liana. If you would like to catch up on any of the show notes from today, I'll make sure that they're put into the um, episode notes at the end of YouTube and also onto our website. You can visit www.dialglobal.org forward slash podcast. You can also visit our YouTube channel 
which is Dial Global on YouTube. You can hit subscribe and you can listen to all of those. You'll be updated for free every time they come out. So until next week, I'm going to thank you very, very much again. And thank you very much for listening. This has been uh, Leila McKenzie on Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show with you every week. Look forward to seeing you again soon. 